Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the First Quarter Investors Conference Call. Today's call is being recorded. Legal counsel requires us to advise that the discussion scheduled to take place today may contain forward-looking statements that involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties. Actual results may be materially different from any future results, performance, or achievements contemplated in the forward-looking statements. Additional information concerning factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from those in the forward-looking statements is contained in the company's annual information form as filed with Canadian Securities Administrators and in the company's annual report on Form 40F as filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. Today is April 27, 2021. I would now like to turn the call over to Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Scott Patterson. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Tammy. Good afternoon and welcome everyone to our first quarter conference call. Thank you for joining us and apologies for the hiccup this morning. Our service provider had a technical glitch and, and the telephone lines were down for a few hours, which coincided with our call, unfortunately. Uh, but here we are and we're ready to go and uh, the call will be recorded and on our website for anybody that wasn't able to make the new time. As usual, I'm on the line with our CFO, Jeremy Rakusen. And let me open by saying that we are very pleased with our strong kickstart to 2021. We continue to be negatively impacted by the pandemic in certain of our service lines but the diversification of our business model and the efforts of our teams enable us to continue to show strong growth on a consolidated basis. Total revenues for the quarter were up 12% over the prior year with organic growth accounting for half of the increase. The balance came from acquisitions over the last year, including tuck unders at first on site, century fire and first service residential. EBITDA was up 36%, reflecting margin expansion of 150 basis points. Both divisions generated strong margin improvement during the quarter. And Jeremy will provide a detailed breakdown in his prepared comments. And finally, earnings per share were up 78%. At first service residential, revenues were up 3% versus the prior year with organic growth at 1%. Year-over-year growth continues to be tempered in this division by the suspension of services relating to community amenities, primarily in the northeast of the U.S. and Canada. These facilities include pools, fitness areas, spas, restaurants, and various other community services. We've had regions and different amenity facilities open and close over the last six months, but on a net basis, the level of impact hasn't materially changed since the end of the third quarter of 2020. 
we have these contracts. They've not been canceled. They have been suspended. When the facilities reopen, we will see an increase in revenues. Although the level of service may be reduced in some cases, in line with capacity restrictions and distancing protocol. We're starting to see some reopening of fitness facilities and a portion of our seasonal pools are preparing to reopen, but we do not expect to see pre-COVID levels for the balance of 2021. Looking forward to the second quarter, we expect First Service Residential to continue to perform approximately at current levels adjusted for seasonality, which would lead to a year-over-year -year increase of over 10% relative to the second quarter of last year, which was negatively impacted by extensive North America-wide lockdowns. Moving on now to First Service Brands, where we reported a very strong quarter with revenues up 23% and organic growth at 13%. The organic growth was driven by strong year-over-year -year increases at our home improvement brands and First On-Site, our newly rebranded commercial restoration platform. First On-Site was up 50% year-over-year with about two-thirds of it coming organically. The organic growth was largely driven by extreme weather during the quarter, particularly the deep freeze event in Texas. Freezing temperatures in combination with power outages led to burst pipes and sprinkler systems throughout the state. The water damage was significant and most of our customers in Texas were impacted. Our work in the area generated approximately 30 million of incremental revenues during the quarter. The year-over-year -year revenue increase outside of this event resulted from continued progress with new national accounts and the impact of the Roland acquisition. We have a solid backlog heading into Q2, including continuing work from the, de the Texas deep freeze. We expect another strong quarter with revenues approaching the level achieved in Q1, which it would again translate into a significant increase over the prior year. A big highlight for all of us during the quarter was the launch of the first on-site brand. We brought our eight commercial restoration brands together under the first on-site name with a single purpose statement and vision. The team has been working on this for two years and we are all very excited about where we ended up with the branding and the logo and the messaging. We are confident that the new brand will enhance our culture building initiatives and help accelerate organic growth. We also know that the launch is just the beginning and that creating a brand and building on the brand is an everyday effort. We have a lot of experience in this area and look forward to the opportunity. Our home improvement brands including California Closet, Serta Pro Painters, Floor Coverings International, and Pillar to Post Home Inspection, are four brands we have been building for over 20 years. During the quarter, this group together was up by over 10%, and that is relative to a tough comp in the prior year that was only marginally impacted by COVID. 
Activity levels grew throughout the quarter and were particularly strong in March. Rising home prices and home equity levels together with stimulus checks have supported home improvement spending over the last nine months. Through March and into April, leads and bookings have increased further as the vaccine continues to roll out and residential projects that have been deferred throughout the pandemic are again being scheduled. Our challenge is building production capacity to meet the front end needs of our home improvement brands. The labor market is extremely tight right now. We have, we have open positions and are recruiting aggressively, but it will take time to fully build out our capacity. Based on current production levels, we expect our home improvement brands to be up significantly over Q2 in the prior year, which of course was impacted by lockdowns. Century Fire was up modestly in the quarter due to the tuck under acquisitions of Aegis Fire Safety and Coronet, which were both completed in the fourth quarter of 2020. On an organic basis, Century was approximately flat year over year relative to a strong Q1 last year. The backlog has been building as deferred construction projects are steadily being rescheduled. We expect Century to show improved revenues next quarter and show year-over-year -year growth in the 10% range. Let me now pass the floor over to Jeremy for a more detailed look at the results. Thank you, Scott. Good afternoon to everyone. The 2021 first quarter performance, as you just heard from Scott, was strong in several respects versus the prior year. For our consolidated quarterly results, we reported revenues of $711 million, a 12% increase over the $634 million for Q120. Adjusted EBITDA was $59.8 million, up 36% versus the prior year's $43.9 million. And this yielded an 8.4% margin for the quarter, reflecting 150 basis points of margin expansion year over year. And finally, our adjusted EPS was 66 cents, representing 78% growth over the 37 cents per share in the prior year quarter. Our adjustments to operating earnings and GAAP EPS in arriving at adjusted EBITDA and adjusted EPS respectively are consistent with our approach and disclosures in prior periods. Now let me walk through the segmented results for our two divisions. First service residential generated revenues of $350 million, up 3% over last year's first quarter, while EBITDA was 29 $4 million, a 23% increase over the prior year. The EBITDA margin for the division came in at 8.4%, up a sizable 140 basis points over the 7% margin last year. Consistent with the back half of 2020, we continued to benefit from higher margin transfer and disclosure and revenue resulting from strong home resale activity volumes across all markets. This ancillary revenue from unit resales had a more pronounced impact during Q1, which is our seasonally weaker quarter, 
in terms of both revenue and profit contribution during the year. In terms of our second quarter outlook, our first service residential division margin is expected to be flat compared to the prior year. The pickup we expect to get from continued strong home resale activity lapping the prior year pandemic-driven falloff will be largely offset by the reinvestments we have made since last Q2 when we took aggressive cost-cutting measures to counter the acute COVID-19 environment. Over now to first service brands, where the division reported revenues of $361 million during the first quarter, up 23% over last year's first quarter. EBITDA came in at $33.4 million, a 52% increase versus the prior year quarter. The division margin increased to 9.3% from last year's 7.5% level, with two factors driving the margin expansion. First, our home improvement brands benefited from some operating leverage on the back of their robust top-line year-over-year growth. And second, we had an impact from mix, a theme we've talked about before and will continue to see as we've increasingly shifted the brand's division towards more company-owned relative to franchised operations. In the current seasonally weakest first quarter, we had a positive mix impact with greater revenue and profit contribution mix from our restoration operations compared to the prior year, which averaged up the overall margin for the brand's division. Looking out to the second quarter, the impact from increased restoration contribution mix will have the reverse impact and average down the brand's division margin during the seasonally strong mid-year period. While Q2 revenue growth will be strong, as Scott mentioned, we expect this brand's mix dynamic to dilute our year-over-year consolidated margin in the upcoming quarter. Turning to our consolidated cash flow, we generated $49 million before working capital changes, a 59% increase versus last year's first quarter. Operating cash flow after working capital came in at $27 million, down from the almost $40 million in Q1-20. The comparatively higher working capital investments this quarter primarily relate to the increased weather-driven activity at our restoration operations and to support balance of your growth in our more seasonal businesses. With our robust growth in earnings and operating cash flow net of capital investments, we reinforced our balance sheet strength. Our net debt of $400 million remained in line with the 2020 year-end level. Leverage as measured by net debt to trailing 12 months EBITDA ticked down a notch to 1.3 times compared to 1.4 times at year end. Our liquidity reflecting our cash on hand and our undrawn revolving credit facility balance sits at $575 million. And our debt profile is attractive, both well-balanced between fixed and floating rates and with a low funding cost at a roughly 2.5% average annual interest rate.
During the first quarter, our investment spending was modest. Maintenance CapEx was $13 million, down slightly from last year's level and tracking in line with the annual $60 million CapEx target we provided at the outset of the year. We also completed two small tuck under acquisitions requiring only $2.5 million of spending during the quarter. As we saw last year, as well as from prior years, acquisition capital deployment can be episodic and vary quarterly and annually. However, our track record over the years has shown that we can drive at least 5% annual acquisition growth on average to augment our organic growth. And so we are confident in continuing to deliver with our Tuck Under program. That concludes our prepared comments. I would now ask the operator to please open up the call to questions. Thank you. Thank you. To ask, ask, ask a question, you will need to press star one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of George Dumay with Scotiabank. Yeah, good afternoon, guys. Um, hey, I, just want to talk a, I just want to talk a little bit about um, the first service um, brand side, the, um, the strength we saw in, in home improvement, the double-digit growth. Um, it looks like, obviously, the contributing forces there are, um, you know, the, the strong macro trends, but also, I guess, just folks opening their houses to installers. Um, so as you look to maybe next, uh, as you look to maybe the back half of the year, so kind of Q3, Q4, um, can you talk about, about that, maybe the, the dynamic, um, I guess, folks opening up their, their homes to installers, and what would you expect to be kind of the, the growth above and beyond that, that 5% that you guys always deliver? Uh, I think for the, the four brands I mentioned, um, we would expect, well, next quarter is, is uh, you know, relative to the, the tough Q2 last year, so it will be up significantly uh, next quarter. But sequentially, I think it, as well it will be up, and, and the reason is that we are gradually building capacity, which is our limiter right now. Uh, we have leads and bookings that um, uh, we're trying to catch up to uh, with, with labor. Labor is, uh, is very tight, as I said in my prepared comments, um, but we uh, specifically as it relates to the second and third quarter, we should be able to increase our capacity to capture more opportunity. Uh, we expect the leads and bookings to remain strong um, over the next few quarters. And as you suggest, you know, I think there's a, there's a few things that are uh, happening, the vaccine rollout, creating comfort to invite professional contractors back into the home. And I think there's a, there's a feeling um, that many have sort of reached the end of their DIY capability and are, are now turning, continuing to invest in the home, but turning to professional contractors, which, uh, which is helping also. So. Okay, thanks for that. Um, maybe moving over to margins. Um, are you, are you guys still sticking to the expectation that you, for the year, um, that you wouldn't expect much um, margin expansion? Uh, and, and if so, I mean, we had 150 basis points this quarter. Um, can you maybe walk us through what, what you're thinking in terms of timing and areas where we could actually see some, some compression? Uh, 
Sure, George, I'll take that. I mean, the short answer is yes for the full year. Uh, you know, it's been a consistent theme we've said around top line uh, being the primary growth driver and, and margins kind of flat uh, efforts around improving margins in each of our businesses, but mix uh, uh, being a, a, a big component of why uh, we see flattish margins. You know, the 150 basis points this quarter, I think I articulated it, but just to sum it up, it's our seasonally weakest quarter and you can get anomalies and swings, whether it's high margin revenue at, at first service residential or the, you know, the restoration activity at, at brands amplifying the margin swings. Um, and with the remaining three quarters, uh, you know, I said second quarter, we expect consolidated margins to be down and, and back after the year and the full year flattish is, is kind of the, probably the best way to summarize it. Okay, that's really helpful. Thanks. And just one last point, if I may, maybe for Scott, if you can take us back to um, the days when you guys rebranded first service uh, residential in 2013. Uh, did you guys see at all a lift in revenues from that activity? Uh, I'm just trying to think about uh, what you guys are thinking, maybe in terms of seeing a similar trend for, for first on-site this year. I mean, we have, but it's incremental. And, and the work starts, really starts the day the brand is launched. Um, so it, it will be incremental, but uh, we believe it will be meaningful uh, over the long term. Okay. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Stephen McLeod with BMO Capital Markets. Uh, thank you. Good afternoon, guys. Hi, Steve. Hi. Um, I just wanted to dig in a little bit on the amenity closures on the residential side. Um, you know, Scott, you mentioned um, in your prepared remarks that you might expect services to remain reduced um, once things open back up. Is that more a comment around kind of the back half of this year when when the pandemic is, is sort of still in, in everyone's fresh memory or, or still in front of us? Or do you mean that maybe going forward you would expect amenities to be used more differently um, on more of a sustainable basis? Um, I think it's more in the near term. I don't know um, what period of time it will be impacted. I think over the longer term, we will get back to, you know, full uh, resumption of our contracts and, and services. But there's, you know, certainly this year, um, many communities are navigating through risk issues associated with uh, with reopening um, there's a concern that the existing insurance that is in place does not protect against lawsuits from those that use the facilities and contract COVID and and uh, there's a number of states sort of working through this issue right now and and there are pending safe harbor immunity bills that would protect board members and communities but it's, uh, there is some uncertainty, and uh, we know many of our communities have already decided not to open their seasonal uh, amenities this year uh, as a result. Um, so will they reopen in 2022? I, I have to assume that they will. Uh, but for the balance of this year, we know that we won't be back to pre-COVID. Okay, I, uh, that, that makes sense. And can you just remind us how big the amenity business is in terms of normalized FSR revenues? It's about 15%, uh, Steve. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's um, that's uh, that's helpful. Um, and then and then I just wanted to make sure I'm I'm, I'm sort of uh, understanding the um, the nearer term Q2 outlook just so I just so I understand. You know, it sounds like for first service residential, you're looking for a revenue increase of roughly 10% but flat margins year over year. And in the brands business, you're looking for more robust um, more robust revenue growth. But the margin impact that you saw in Q1 will reverse in Q2 because of some of these seasonality impacts. Is that, is that the way to understand it? Correct. Okay. Okay, that's great. And then maybe just finally, um, you know, Scott, you, inter you, you mentioned an interesting uh, trend you're seeing where people are, have reached the end of their DIY abilities. Um, you know, have, have you really seen that accelerating the demand for, for home improvement? And is that something that has, you know, just kicked in more recently? Or have you, is that something you've seen for, for a little while now? Well, the, the DIY phenomena has been very strong throughout the pandemic, uh, much stronger than spending on professional contractors and professional home improvement. And, you know, early on, uh, strong results at the Home Depots and the Sherwin-Williams. And, I mean, it was all about residential DIY. And in, yeah. the, last, in the last three months, and, and really it's happening now, um, you know, there's, there's a feeling or a hypothesis that we're moving through that DIY bubble. Uh, but it is happening at the same time as the vaccine. So uh, I think that, you know, certainly March was up um, over January, February, and we, we see it continuing into to April. And again, as I mentioned, um, you know, our limiter is, is labor, but it's there. Okay. Okay. That's, uh, okay. That's very helpful, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Steve. Our next question comes from the line of Stephen Sheldon with William Blair. Hi, thanks. Wanted to follow up on, on the, I guess, that last comment. Can you maybe just talk some about how you're handling the labor challenges and what you're doing on the recruiting side to maybe pull in more resources and better match your ability to, pro to provide solutions with the high demand that you're seeing, especially on the home improvement side? We're just ramping up efforts. Um, and, and leaning into the existing workforce for referrals, uh, you know, pulling out every uh, tool we have, recruiting tool we have um, to pull people in. But the, you know, with unemployment benefits and stimulus checks, um, there are currently a number of people that are, are choosing to stay on the sidelines. I think also, uh, you know, perhaps as a result of uh, COVID safety. Um, but, you know, vaccines and, and the ex expiration of the unemployment benefits, I think are going to result in an easing of, of, this, um, of this tightness in the labor market. And I, I think we're gonna, um, you know, as we get into the third quarter, uh, be in better shape around capacity. Got it. Makes sense. Um, and, and then on, on the residential side, I guess, have you seen any changes in the competitive landscape 
is some regions have opened back up this year. I know you had talked about properties being hesitant to switch providers you know, kind of early on in the pandemic. So I guess is that still the case? And what has that meant in terms of both retention and your ability to win new clients? Right. It actually, it actually has changed, and it's um, maybe even tilting the other way. Uh, we have seen a uh, market increase in board turnover. Um, you know, board members are resigning or simply choosing not to run again. It's been a it's been a very tough time, I think, in general for board members. Residents have been in their units and on average have become more involved in their communities. And I would say on average there is more conflict and, and certainly more board turnover. And whenever there's board turnover, there, there tend to be RFPs and, um, and more turnover of management companies. And, so we we will uh, you know expect to see our retention drop a little bit this year, um, but on the flip side, our, we expect our sales to be strong. Uh, so it 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 has changed, uh, and you know net net the um, I think we end up in the same position or a similar position in terms of organic growth, <clears throat> but it's not ideal because turnover always puts pressure on your on your teams, and it also puts pressure on price. Um, so that's what a summer summarization of the competitive environment today. Great, thank you. Appreciate the commentary. Thanks, Steve. Your next question comes from the line of Daryl Young. My apologies. Your next question comes from the line of Matt Logan with RBC Capital Markets. Thank you, and good afternoon. Hi, Matt. Uh, Jeremy, would you be able to quantify the storm activity in Q1 in dollar terms for both revenue and EBITDA? Yeah, it was, so it's $30 million, and Scott said it in his prepared comments. And, you know, I would describe uh, the same type of margin as we get uh, in restoration across the board, uh, the 10-ish percent. And when we try to think through your commentary for brands for Q2, how do we roll up all of those various segments? Is there a – do you have a percentage handy for the blend of home improvement, century fire, and restoration? Are you talking – Revenue or in, in for your regard? revenue growth for your revenue growth for Q2. Scott, do you want to lead with that or? Yeah, I don't know if I have that number. I mean, brands is brands was the home improvement brands were off 30 percent ish from 2019 last year, and and we expect to be uh, better than 19. This year, so we'll be, you know, the brand home improvement brands will be up over 30. Uh, restoration um, may not reach the level that we hit in Q1, but uh, you know, it and we were up 50 in, in Q1 year over year, so maybe you know we're up in the same range as as the home improvement brands. Um, 
century fire will be, you know, show much more modest, modest growth, and and will will certainly temper that. So I guess what I'm trying to do is just run through the composition of the brand's revenue and try to think through the respective contributions. So like, would we be looking at something north of 20% in terms of the brand's growth rate in Q2? Would that be fair for kind of the aggregate basket? Probably yeah. in that range. And margins generally kind of flat year over year? No, down. That's down, down year over year? Yeah. On mix, on mix. Again, remember you're getting um, what's been traditionally um, more home improvement skewed businesses. They do better in after Q1, the seasonal trough. They're in the low double digits um, margin. And then you're layering on some increased restoration um, activity levels, which are more in the 10 range. So it averages down the margins. Okay, appreciate that. And maybe just changing gears here. Um, if we think about the residential division and first on-site, could you give us any color on how the organic growth is trending when we strip out the COVID-related amenity closures and some of the storm activity in Q1? Uh, well, let me start with first service residential. If, if we adjust for the service suspensions, uh, then we'd be right in the middle of that low to mid-single-digit organic growth rate that we um, estimate from quarter to quarter. And then I think, you know, restoration, if you take – did you did you say uh, X, Texas? Yeah, X, the storm. Yeah, X, yeah. Texas. Yeah, we, it'd be in the same range. It'd be in a similar range, sort of mid-single-digit. And when we think through kind of the balance of the year, I guess it would be fair to think about those trends as starting to normalize uh, for some of the amenity closures but not necessarily reaching 2019 levels and then just good momentum through kind of H2 for the home improvement businesses. Uh, yes on home improvement um, and, and yes on residential uh, restoration we had a very big back half of 2020, and um, it will be tough to hit those same levels, but that is storm season. But, but obviously uncertainty around that piece. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate the commentary. Uh, that's all from me. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Your next question comes from the line of Scott Brumson with CIBC. Hi, and good afternoon, gentlemen. Just a couple Thanks, of questions, uh, please. Um, just wondering, are you seeing ongoing activity related to the uh, Texas freeze, or is that uh, pretty much done in Q1? No, we, we will continue to, to work on in that area uh, through Q2. Uh, the backlogs, um, I would say, quite strong. We, we won't hit the same level in Q2 as we hit in Q1 in Texas, from Texas. Uh, but there's, uh, we'll, we'll continue to work certainly on that, on that event. So it may actually bridge into the tornado and hurricane seasons, is that fair to say? Uh, it might, yeah. Okay. 
Um, and the uh, second question, more related to brands, uh, or also related to brands, are you seeing any any change in acquisition opportunities to uh, bring franchises back into the company fold? Just wondering if uh, pandemic fatigue is creating succession plans. Not really, Scott. You know that's a that's a resilient group. Um, and uh, I mean, we we those two strategies at Cal Closets and and Paul Davis really haven't changed, and they will, you know, over time we would uh, want to own the major markets, but it will take it will take many years, um, and we're not seeing any real change as a result of the pandemic and in, in timing around that. Well, that actually sounds like a good thing if it uh, reflects on the robustness of the businesses. That's true. Absolutely. I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thanks, Scott. Again, if you have a question at this time, please press star, then the number one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press, press the pound key. Your next question comes from the line of Frederick Bastian with Raymond James. And guys, uh, I just have one quick question uh, more housekeeping. Um, you completed um, some California closet company-owned um, acquisitions in early March. How much of that will um, – how do we need to model with respect to revenue on a go-forward basis with respect, with respect to these, uh, this Minneapolis acquisition? Uh, it's, it's mid single digits, um, Frederick. So it's a it's a small tuck under, but we we're taking it now up to 20 locations, and um, you know so our company owned operations are are at a significant level, you know 200 million plus, and uh, we'll continue to you know attempt to get a couple done a year if we can. Um, are there big ones uh, left out there though? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of bigger franchises, but you know. Obviously, the the 20 that we've done takes care of uh, most of the landscape, but we'll, you know, there there's a few few more sizable ones, um, and um, you know we can go over 25 or 30 if we continue to uh, as the strategy continues to evolve. Good, and then um, I do have another one. You were. You were contemplating um, bringing your ownership of the Paul Davis restoration uh, franchises to same kind of number, um, but that change obviously with uh, the growth of commercial restoration opportunity. So, where do you stand on on um, on Paul Davis right now? Uh, uh, let's Scott 11. go ahead. Uh, yeah, there's, there's there's eleven today, kind of with a hundred million plus of revenues. So that strategy continues too. It's uh, it's separate from the uh, large loss and commercial acquisition strategy with first on site. They're in parallel, and uh, you know obviously COVID uh, put a pause on on those things just logistically. And but our efforts continue on that front as well. Scott, I don't know if there's something else you want to add. No, perfect. Awesome. Okay, great quarter. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ryder. And I'm showing no further questions at this time. I would like to turn the call back to Mr. Patterson. Thank you, Tammy. 
You know, as I said earlier, we're very pleased with our strong start. And again, it's all a reflection on the commitment and work ethic of our teams. Uh, they continue to do an amazing job delivering on our brand promise, and we remain extremely grateful. Um, I'll close with that and look forward to speaking uh, at the end of July. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.